Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of JL's podcast and I am um, excited to bring you this two-part episode where I interviewed my friend Leah and we're going to talk a little bit about her um, her mental health and her journey these past few years with mental health and um, I really hope that this blesses you, um, that it helps you to build a bit of resilience. I know that mental health is um, one of those things that's really impacting a lot of people on different levels and so i hope that this blesses you and i hope that this encourages you and um, gives you a little bit more hope for your future what you're facing without further ado here is my interview with leah hope you enjoy so leah thank you for agreeing to do this and Um, and so, I guess we can get started in talking about your story for the past longer than five years, six years, longer than six years, um, because we, well, I discovered that this has been part of your life a little bit longer than just the past six years, but it's... Introduce yourself first. <laughs> I'm talking in codes already. Okay, so you're Leah. Hi, I'm Leah Wiseman, and I am 27 years old, and I have three daughters. And you like to party. And I have a husband called Luke. Who's my daughter? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And my daughter's names are Olivia, she is six, Anna, who is four, and Scarlett, who is one. So, um, we, well, we decided to get together because I got curious, um, and I didn't know the extent to which, um, you were actually going through some really hard time. Um, and I mean, you didn't go out of your way to make it known to everyone, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I suppose it's that, but, um, yeah, so tell us what's been going on. Um, so over the past, uh, yeah, since I've had kids, I have had um, mental illness in my life. And um, when I, so when I was a teenager, I had some niggles of mental illness, didn't really know what it was, it didn't really amount to anything. And then had my first daughter, things amped up a bit with my mental health. And then when I gave birth to my second daughter, it really just um, spiked and was... Yeah, really bad. Um, And, yeah, so it's been about four years, four and a half years of um, tried and failed treatments until Mm. recently. And so, um, yeah, I've done about 11 treatments for um, my mood disorder. Um, Yeah, and so it's just been a long road. Um, And within that time as well, I got pregnant with my third daughter and had hyperemesis gravidarum, um, which meant that I was severely nauseous and sick through my whole pregnancy, vomiting, and, you know, I had to have silver chain come into my house and pump me with fluid, and, yeah, like, I was really unwell for nine months with her, so, 
that was also thrown in when I thought that life couldn't possibly be any harder then I got pregnant and that happened and I hadn't had that with the other kids so that was pretty shocking um, yeah so the original mental illness what was that uh, so um, I have a thing called a premenstrual dysphoric disorder and clinical depression. Mm-hmm. So premenstrual dysphoric disorder is classed as a mood disorder yeah. in the same under the same umbrella as bipolar and um, yeah, like it's different to an anxiety disorder or a um, depressive disorder. Yeah, um, and so it's cyclic. Um, to do with my periods and so um, yeah like once I ovulate halfway through my month then my symptoms would appear Mm. and pretty much instantly as soon as I got my period then they would go so for two weeks I would be quite normal and then for two weeks I would be quite dysfunctional wow yeah wow so there were traces of this when you were younger yeah, so I remember um, having big feelings, I guess, as mm. a teenager and asking people, you know, does this happen to you? Do you cry lots? Do you, yeah, like um, have messed up sleep, have really weird dreams? Do you crave foods that are really bizarre? Do you, um, yeah, like struggle with... Um, yeah, just like different things, but I felt that they were more intense than what other people were feeling. Mm. But people would just say, oh, no, that's, you know, I experienced that because to some degree we all experience symptoms, yeah. Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and so because they weren't so noticeable, I, um, yeah, kind of managed to make my way through okay Mm. Um, but then it must have been a hormonal shift or something Um, and then yeah like I couldn't ignore it anymore yeah so take us through first few weeks and months when you can't ignore this anymore yeah so it was after I had It was kind of between when I had my first daughter and second daughter. They're only 19 months apart. So I remember, um, yeah, once my periods had returned, it was only, I only had one or two periods before I got pregnant again. So Mm. I didn't really notice it because it hadn't kicked in. Then I had Anna and um, it, yeah, like it just was really bizarre. We spent... Maybe it was like a year mm. where I just remember crying so much, being just feeling so out of control mm. within myself, erupting, like getting so mad. I just had this rage that was really difficult. Like I was trying my best to control it on the yeah. outside, yeah. but within, like I was like swearing like anything on the inside. Like I just felt like my blood was boiling. Like, I would want to eat all this stuff. I would, you know, just would. it felt as if I would turn into a different person. Yeah. And I, I was like, I am actually going insane. 
and you know because I was a relatively new mum mm. I was like you know I remember going to my first GP to talk to her about it and she's like look honey it's because you have two young kids you know you'll get better at it it's just because you're not handling it mm. and I just wow. remember being like this has nothing to do with my ability to be a mum something else is going on here mm. but I remember going back to her office and sitting with her so many times and just crying and her just repeatedly telling me like it's just a phase you know you'll learn to juggle kids better and it will go and I just remember feeling so uncertain within myself mm. because I felt so different yeah and it wasn't acknowledged and so I just believed I am absolutely flawed. I'm, you know, like I didn't wow. think it was a sickness. I thought it was me. Yeah. yeah. You know? Um, oh, my goodness. And that's a pretty scary place to feel like you're in when you're not seen. Mm. Um, yeah, because real connection happens from being seen, being right? Seen. Exactly. Really well. Um, wow. Yeah. So you're already thinking I'm out of control. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. You're slowly... Did it feel like you were slowly slipping through your own fingers, like you can't, in a sense, get a hold of yourself? Absolutely. And yeah. so then you have an outside voice also telling you, you know, it's all... Yeah. Like, don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember at one point, one of my lovely friends said... We were chatting about something and, you know, people would always tell me if I would share, like I'd get brave and then I'd share a little bit with somebody and they're like, oh, you know, you just have to exercise more, you know, just go to the gym more. And so, like, I was going to the gym four mornings a week. I'd get up at 5.30 before my kids were up. I'd smash it for an hour, get home, have a shower, ready for my kids, be crying at the breakfast table you know, like, just not in a good place during the day. But mm. I was like, I just have to keep going to the gym because this is what's going to help me. Or, you know, eliminate this stuff from your diet. You know, like, so in that first while when I realised that things were starting to go weird, I tried those things, you know. Did the gym. I ate super clean. I, mm. you know, I did everything. Like, I, you know, made sure I was praying lots, going yeah. to church still, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah. And I was just getting sicker and sicker. And I was like, this is not the way that everyone says it's supposed to go. So I just kept pushing. Like, I'm obviously not doing it hard enough. So Mm. I'm just going to keep pushing. And, yeah. Um, Yeah, so. Wow. Yeah. I'm a bit stunned. <laughs> I'm a bit stunned. I think, um, yeah, I'm trying to think, like, what's what's Leah at that stage thinking, feeling, um, believing, you know, whilst all this is going on. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... I just felt really alone. Like, I would look at other people and I would be like, do they feel like me on the inside? Because I could still look the same on the outside. I think lots of us can. Yeah. But inside, 
I was just feeling so lonely. I was mm-hmm. wanting to do the best job as I could as yeah. a mum. You know, I was wanting to be a loving wife. I was, you know, I wanted to be someone and I just felt like I couldn't, you know, like I didn't actually have the capacity to be anybody mm-hmm. and I just felt like a wreck. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. yeah, and it was very hard because on a practical level, my symptoms, like one of my biggest symptoms was tearfulness. Yeah. So I would just cry. No, like, like I would literally wake up and then I would just start crying. And I was like, this is so bizarre. Then yeah, once I got my period, I would be able to get up out of bed. I, if, I, if I was in my pre-menstrual um, stage... Yeah. I would sleep past my alarm every day. Mm. I would have dreams during the night, like horrific dreams yes. about getting raped or about people breaking into my house. Like I'd have like disturbing dreams. Not like crazy nightmares. Crazy nightmares. And then I would sleep past my alarm. So I'd wake up to the kids and then I would, you know, drag myself to the table. Wow. I'd be crying, giving them breakfast. And then... You know, like, we'd have a play date organised or something. And so I'd be like, is this person safe? Can I go there? And if I cry, how's that going to go? You know, Mm. like... And so then I'm also trying to navigate the awkwardness of the beginning of motherhood where you're trying to work out, how do I want to do this? Oh, Mm. having a baby is not as simple as we all do the same thing. It's like, if I want to have impact with my kids living in a generation like this Mm. I need to stand up and I need to go against the grain in some areas but do I have the strength to do that while facing such hardship you know and that's not an easy question to be asking yourself whilst going through what you're going through exactly yeah but you still had to ask it yeah and so I think I just started withdrawing like, I didn't get to, like, a really withdrawn place, but I just was like, I don't know where I fit mm. and I'm scared mm. and I actually feel like I'm going crazy. And if I stay at home and just try to do the best job as I can as a mum, like, that's actually my capacity. Yeah. You know, like, people can think whatever they think of me but ultimately I just have to do what's in my home, you know? And I think it was when I, like, there was kind of like a transition period Mm -hmm. where it went from me being like, oh, my goodness, to going, actually, it's okay for me to decide that and for Mm -hmm. me to acknowledge that I feel alone and that it's really hard, but then to move past that and to go okay, but I'm still going to show up, you know, and I'm going to choose things that I want to go to and things that I don't. Yeah. And, you know, like I'm at, you know, like that wooden spoon analogy thing where they're like, you know, living with chronic health issues, um, you know, like say a regular person gets given 20 wooden spoons at the beginning of a day. Right. You know, but somebody with a broken back, they might get three wooden spoons. Mm. And it takes two spoons to have a shower, one to eat a meal. They've used their three spoons. Mm. You know, whereas, Mm. like, a person that has 20, they can do all this stuff. All these things, yeah. 
whereas they were given 20 at the beginning of the day. So, like, I had to realise, I've been given nine spoons. Mm -hmm. I have to use them wisely. My kids take up four of my nine spoons, you know, to... And then, you know, so I think that was helpful. Um, How did you discover... So, how did you discover that new way of thinking? Um, Is it that you came to the end of yourself, which you already are at, you were at, I should say? Um, uh, So, I had been going to a playgroup kind of thing, and mm -hmm. they had asked me if I would run it, and I was like, it was funny because I actually shocked them. I was like, oh, I'm, I just need to, like, check in with myself. Can't let you know. You know, like, I need a few weeks or whatever. Mm. And, um, and they were like, oh, okay. We don't usually get that. You know, like, we would normally just say yes. And I was like, oh. oh. Anyway, so I, was, I felt like God was saying to me, wait. Mm. And so randomly during that time, I was... You know, I was like, I don't know how on earth I'm going to do this being unwell, but I was like, maybe it would be good to have something else to have my mind thinking on, blah, blah, blah. Um, more striving kind of thing. Anyway, I um, went to this other, so it was mops. I went to this other mops group just to see how they ran it. Apparently the lady that was running that one was really amazing and I wanted to chat to her to see what it actually entailed kind of thing. Anyway, God knew, but that week they had Rochelle Masters coming wow. from Masters Psychology. I had no wow. idea. So I showed up with my two little kids, my little, little, little baby and my toddler, and, you know, all the stars aligned that my baby was sleeping and the other one was happily in the toddler room or whatever, and she spoke at the front about anxiety, I think. Anxiety in women, whatever. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't have anxiety. <laughs> you know, like, this is boring. You know, like, yeah. not applicable. Yeah. And then at the end, she was like, hey, I have a few cards for a free first visit to Nana Clinic. Um, if there's anything that you're not sure about to do with mental health, please come and talk to me afterwards because I'd love to chat with you further. And so... That's when, I, like, my heart started beating really fast. I was like, there's a purpose in me being here. And so then I went and chatted with her and she gave one to me and I went and had my first appointment. And, yeah, it was through that that she – so she's a clinical psychologist. She um, officially diagnosed me, I guess, mm-hmm. and then was able to say, you know, this requires treatment don't go to your doctor who tells you that this is to do with your parenting abilities. Yeah. You know, like yeah. seek alternative arrangements <laughs> kind of thing with urgency. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so mm. that's where it kind of shifted for me because growing up I didn't know much about mental health. The people around me didn't know much about mental health. And I didn't think mental health would feel like it was feeling for me. You know, I I feel like it's been more insidious to me than I thought it would. Right. I thought you were either crazy or you weren't. 
You know, like I thought it was nice and black and white. Black and white instead of the... Instead of like, you know, getting to the end of the day and realising like the hate and rage within myself like had escalated through the day but because of chemicals in my brain. You know, like whereas Mm. I thought it was just bad for me or, you know, I wasn't dealing with the kids right or whatever. But it was those kind of symptoms or like food cravings or the crazy dreams. Yeah. I'm like, I thought I just was having bad dreams. Wow. But it's like, no, this is actually to do with the way that your brain is processing its chemicals or not, you know? So it was so, so helpful going to her and learning language around what was actually going on. Yeah. Um, so that was just awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love... Um I love that, um, to the way you put it, like learning the language to help you understand a bit more what's going on. Because um, I do really think that that's probably one of the first, one of the first things that a lot of people going through a lot of mental illness don't really have is the yeah. is that extra perspective to sort of go like. This is not all there is, because it can get lonely. Um, Absolutely. You know, it can get pretty hopeless. And I mean, I don't know what it is about you, but that you've just kept going. <laughs> yeah. Like I gotta try something new. Most people give up, and that's one of the things that I admire about you. Most My just stubbornness. Give up. You're stubborn. Um, your good stubbornness that just will not give up, which is which is awesome. I think it's God in us, right? Hope. Hope is God in us. Hope. It's true. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, yeah. Like, and I thought the same thing, that mental health was black and white. Yes. You were one extreme or the other, um, neurotic, psychotic, yeah. you know, all the big terms. Yeah. Um, or you... Or you're just fine, yeah. whatever. Yeah. You're going through a hard time. You need to eat less or exercise less or whatever or more. Whatever. <laughs> <You> <laughs> exercise less. <laughs> That's what I would prefer it to mm. be anyway. <laughs> All the chips and the centuries. Um But that's not reality. Um, you know, reality is like a lot more people than you think. You know, are going through quite a bit of hard times, but it's there's there's a mental illness as well connected to it. Um, I think people believe that it's them. You know, like I'm in conversation with quite a few people at the moment about their mental health struggles or whatever, and they actually just don't see it. Mm. You know, they're like, no, this is just me. And I'm like, it's really not. Wow. You know, you're not, nobody wakes up and chooses those things. You know, like, yes, there are destructive patterns that you can adopt in life, but a normal general, I shouldn't say normal, but generally (laughs) people don't do that, you know? So I think that's what I mean about insidious, as in it's so hard to tell, is this me, is this something else? You know, It's not clear-cut. And yeah. you're, and, and it's sort of 
it's it's arising from within you. Yes. And and you can see it really clearly. Yeah. No one else can see it really clearly. Yeah. Um, but it feels as though it's almost always been there. Yeah. Because it echoes in your so, self-talk. Okay. Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, in your vulnerabilities, yes. like it just absolutely puts floodlights on your vulnerabilities. Yeah. Mm. My husband and I always talk about um, cookie cuttering things. You know, like so often in life, we want a cookie cutter, you know, like, oh, well, if that worked for you, I'm just going to cookie cutter that and I'm just going to put it onto me. Or, oh, you have mental illness. Oh, it must look exactly the same Same as as mine. mine. (laughs) You know, matchy, matchy. You know, but it's just not like that. Yeah. yeah, so even just realising those things has been helpful um, and making light of it. Mm. You know, it's like like something I say to my kids if I'm at the table and I'm crying in the morning. I'm like, you know, the kids used to be uncertain mm. and I was uncertain, so it would just kind of like go back and forth yeah. between like I'm feeling bad, they're feeling awkward, I'm oh. feeling awkward, you know. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm destroying my kids, which, by the way, I wasn't. But that's how you feel at the time. And then once I got language around it, like now, if I'm having a bad day and I get to the breakfast table and I am crying, I just say to my kids, hey, kids, you know how mummy sometimes has a sick brain? Well, mummy's brain has been very silly today and it's one of those days and it's okay. You know, but mummy just has a silly brain today. You know, and so they're like, oh, okay. And they just keep eating. You know, and it's like, it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated to them. It doesn't have to whatever. But it's like, no, you're, you know, like I choose to be seen. And so I'm going to speak up for myself. I'm going to advocate for myself. But I don't have to tell lots of details. But I just need to affirm myself. I'm here, I'm not alone, and other people see that I'm struggling Mm. and I can let them in as much or as little as I want to. Yeah, so that's been good. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Advocating for yourself. Yeah. How'd you learn that? Um... I mean, after all, the you're brave, you tell someone, like, and then you get knocked back, oh, you know, don't worry about it, sort I, of thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're stubborn. <laughs> That's part of it. a lot. Just, just misunderstanding. Mm. You know, people try to understand. You know, I like to think about it as, like, you know, Brene Brown talks about empathy. Mm. Um, and I kind of see it as like is that people think that they're giving you empathy when mm-hmm. they're really giving you sympathy right explain that and so sympathy is like oh you're over there I'm here blah 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 yeah like empathy is staying curious yeah. it's like tell me more yeah. what is that like yeah you know like it's no strings attached like I'm a learner. Mm. Teach me. Teach me, yeah. And I always think, like, I just got to the point where I was like, oh, what people tend to do, particularly with mental illness or anything that's 
a little bit off the beaten track for mm-hmm. people to comfortably think and talk about yeah. is when they have a conversation with you, it's like they have an invisible filing cabinet next to them and you tell them an experience mm-hmm. and then they're like, just wait a moment, and then they sift through their filing cabinet through their own experiences and then they pull out which one they think fits what you're saying. Mm. And in order for them to validate what you're saying, they have to have experienced something similar. And so that sympathy to me is I'm able to see you if I've seen that in, you know, like if I can say, yeah, I get it exactly. Mm. Whereas empathy is like, tell me more, you know. It's just that real heart connection of, I reckon we feel the same in terms of, like, I felt sad, you feel sad. Mm. But, like, it's okay if we haven't experienced the same things. Ultimately, we're both human and I'm going to sit with you Mm. in the mud. Yeah. And let's just sit here as long as it takes you to get back up. You know, like that kind of thing. And so I think I learned empathy for other people who misunderstood me because I was like, oh, they're just getting out their invisible filing cabinet. Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't even realise that it's next to them yeah. and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But advocating for myself has been something that I've just had to get confident in my knowledge around my mental illness mm-hmm. and have people around me who see me like really see me and for me to know that I'm known and seen and heard so that when I go out into places that are uncertain, I'm able to have a backbone, Yes. you know, like to be able to be like, actually, I'm good. Yeah. You know, you can, you can bring your filing cabinet, you can tell me exercise will help, you can do those things. But actually, you probably don't realise that I'm on my eighth treatment and that I've tried some drugs that have been so impacting and, you know, like you don't actually know my journey and that's okay. Like there are people who do. So I don't need you to see me. In the beginning I thought everyone needed to see me and understand me and now I realise that in life there are probably only a few people who will ever really see us in our fullness Mm-hmm. Um, and also a huge part of it is me realising how seen I am by God and so through all of this just being like God where are you what do you think about mental illness how do I get help what does yeah. that look like is medicine even allowed in church yeah. yeah, you know like what even is this space absolutely yeah Um, And just having God, like, show up time and time again in such practical ways and for me to realise that I'm so seen by him Mm -hmm. so that no matter where I go, I'm not alone. Wow. Even if I feel like no one's around me, I know that God's within me. Like, Mm. yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, and the whole idea, I think, about being not seen, feeling like you're, you need to be seen by everybody. Um, you know, I mean, from the beginning, you would have been quite desperate 
without without knowing yeah. like what is this the fear yeah. so you know sort of going wow um, what am I going to cling on to yeah and then and I never right and and never mind that but also navigating then like what does this mean for me as a Christian yeah <laughs> are we allowed to take medication um, yeah like do I keep serving in church yeah even though I am falling apart do yeah. I is it okay for me to not go to church for a while because I don't know what I think about God and about this and about yeah. this and yeah those things are all big things that all of a sudden you can't ignore you can't because like you said you start getting lonely yeah and the practicalness of symptoms and little kids yeah little kids are difficult to take places (laughs) you know like (laughs) yeah it's not always easy yeah. Let alone if you yourself are feeling so vulnerable, so raw, unsure of yourself, you know, those things. So if you have nine spoons, they already take up four when you're going somewhere at that level of vulnerability. How many more is that? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not many. And I think I, for a while, was running on like 12 spoons. You know, like I was using up and then more than I had in a day. And so I was just running myself dry. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me at which point you starting to write your journey comes in there? Writing my journey? Um, so I went on an... Yeah, she's writing a book. <laughs> I went on an Inspire <laughs> Collective retreat. When was that? That would have been three and a half years ago that I went on that and I felt like God said to me, I want you to write about this. I want you to tell other women about mental illness and to answer things like how do I be a mum and have a mental illness? What does church look like? Mm -hmm. Can you take medicine? Mm -hmm. What about life with your husband? Mm -hmm. What about daily quiet time? Is that even a thing? You know, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, I began writing and, yeah. But, I mean, that even in and of itself sounds so glamorous, you know, somebody to say, I'm writing a book. But it's like on a practical level, I have three children. I have a mental illness that makes me feel confused. Yeah. Like... Yeah, like there are so many variables and whatever. Going through treatment. Going through treatment, had hyperemesis, like all these different things. So I'm like, you know what? Like it's actually okay for it to take as long or as little as it takes. Um, But, yeah, my hope is to share my story to help other people be brave with theirs. I still can't, but what does 11 treatments mean? So you're taking, what, antipsychotics, Uh, antidepressants? So I've tried four different types of antidepressants. Mm -hmm. I've tried two types of mood stabilizers. I've tried um, 
hormone therapy, um, contraceptive therapy, like playing with my hormones twice. Um, I've tried um, like a herbalist, Mm -hmm. a naturopath. Um, I've tried like radical diets that promise to do their thing. So that's, yeah, 12. Um, And then I'm on a hormone therapy at the moment. Yeah. So each one of those, you know, you don't have, you don't know if it's working or not instantly. Lots of them it takes eight weeks to get into your system and then you have to give it, you know, it's a cyclic mood disorder, so you have to give it two to three months. And sometimes I'd be trying two treatments at the same time or, yeah. And I thought that finding medication for mental illness was a cookie cutter. I thought, you know, yeah. you go to the doctor and it's like a, it's like you've got a sore throat. Mm. Hey, doctor, I've got a sore throat. And he's like, great, this is what you'll do. It'll clear up within a few days. Yeah. That's literally what I thought. And then, you know, mm. four years later, I'm getting results. Mm. And I'm like, ah, oh, Okay. Imagine if the doctor had told me that initially. Take this. It'll take four years. <laughs> Where's, Where's the fine print? Exactly. I want to see what I'm signing up for. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, one of the medications that I was on, I had to come off of to try for my third baby because... Mm. This medicine was so dangerous that you can't take it if you're trying for a baby because of the defects that it has on babies. So that was a whole thing, having to come off that. Um, And that had been kind of working more than anything else had. But then I was like, well, do I stop having kids because of this? Hmm. You know, like, do I wave a white flag? I give up or do I keep going for another kid you know like wow that's um, horrible yeah it's really horrible to have to think about those choices yeah yeah I remember when you were still pregnant uh, with Scarly and um, you were sitting on the couch I think they were having a games thing at your house okay and I don't think you'll remember this, but you were sat there, like, trying so hard to have a conversation with me, I'm like, oh, poor thing. Um, yeah. One of my friends, Hachi, he um, mm. said to me that in the, at the beginning of this year, we were down at his house, and he said something along the lines of, Leah, I'm glad you're back. For such a while, I've realised that you were actually a shell of yourself. But I see that you're finally, you know, coming back into yourself. Mm. You know, like, he was just like, yeah, I just knew that it wasn't really you. Like, you were trying so hard Mm. to still show up. But, you know, that you weren't there. And I was like, wow, 
you know, you don't realise those things and then someone says something like that and you're like, wow, yeah, that's what it felt like to me, you know? Yeah. 